All right, while they receive the offering, we're going to go ahead and just, just dive right into it. So for those of you who are new, maybe uh, you've missed a couple weeks or maybe you're brand new to Flourishing Grace, uh, three weeks ago we began this new initiative called the Path of Flourishing. I said, I said just a minute ago that we want to be a family um, that leads people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. But the reality is, is that here at Flourishing Grace, and really throughout churches all around America, if you said, man, are, are, you a, are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? People would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm a, I'm a believer, whatever that means, or I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, we'd say, yes, I am. And then we say, okay, well, is your life marked by flourishing? And be like, well, what does that mean? Um, right? What does that, what does that mean? Like, is your life just full of life? And the reality is, many of us would say, well, actually, I'm kind of just weary, tired, and spiritually dry. I I don't know. My life is not marked by flourishing. Like, I'm kind of shriveled up here, honestly, if I'm just just honest with you. Like, that's what would mark my life. There's kind of this, I don't know where God is. There's kind of this distance between God and I. And I I believe, but I'm just not experiencing. So, so where is this flourishing? What we see in, in the Gospels again and again and again, especially in the Gospel of John, we've unpacked this over the past few weeks, again and again and again, Jesus says, man, I'm offering you life, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? In him was life, and the life was the light of men, right? I am the light of the world, he says. Right? I mean, I mean I, in, I, I'm the bread of life. Um, in me is living water. I came to give life and give it abundantly. So again and again and again and again, Jesus says, man, in me, like I'm the source of this life. If you come after me, you follow after me, man, I want to fill you with life. And so why is it that so many people would say, man, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm not experiencing that. The thing that he claims to offer, like why is that? And so what we've done is we've launched this new initiative saying, man, we need to figure out how to help each other live in that life, to, to walk this path of flourishing together. And what we said is that there's multiple things to this. There's multiple, what we've called pathways. You can call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter. There's multiple pathways. And the first pathway that we spent the past few weeks on is the pathway of beholding Jesus. I mean, if you, if you want to have a, a flourishing relationship with Jesus, I mean, you need to fix your gaze on him from the moment your eyes open to the moment your eyes close at night. We fix our gaze on the source of all human flourishing, right? Jesus says, man, I'm the source. I am the true vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. I'm the source. You got to tap into me. If you want to experience this flourishing, like I'm it. And so let's, let's fix our gaze on the source of all human flourishing. Let's behold him all day, every day. And so we talked about what that actually means and what that looks like and how to do that. We don't have time to unpack all that again this morning, but I want to challenge you. You need to go back and listen to the past couple weeks. You can go to flourishinggrace.org slash listen. You'll find all of those there. Um, and you can, you can listen to those or watch those videos, videos there. They're, they're up on our website. But this morning we're going to move into the next pathway. The next pathway is by following Jesus. So, so we, we live in a flourishing relationship with Jesus by beholding him, by fixing our gaze on him, and then by following him, by emulating him, right? Listen, if Jesus is the source of all human flourishing, and he is, okay, I, I, I don't need to tell you that the things that the world says are the source of flourishing are not the source of flourishing. Like, you know that already because you've pursued them. You've chased after them. Some of them you've, you've actually attained 
Like you've actually grasped them, you've arrived, and it scratched that itch for about a minute, and you're like, that wasn't it. And you've done this again and again and again and again. We all have. If, if I could just get this job, then I'd be satisfied. And you got the job, and it satisfied for a moment, and then you were hungry again. If I could just find like Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, if I could just get married and find that, that sweet, beautiful relationship, then I'd be satisfied. And it satisfied for a moment, and then you were hungry again. All of these things point us to this, this longing and this desire. There's, there has to be something that actually fulfills. And Jesus says again and again, again I'm that something. Like, I am, I'm the thing that you were designed to build your life around. I, I am the one that you were designed to have intimacy with, to walk in the garden in the coolness of the dead, to, to be with me, to be where I am and do what I'm doing. Like, that's the only thing that's going to actually bring you fullness of joy and fullness of delight is to, to know me. You were designed to be mine, and I'm, I'm here to be yours, like to be your God and you to be my people. And so if Jesus is the source of all human flourishing, it would do us well to begin to do whatever he does, to, to follow him. Now, the problem with following Jesus is that we have totally, absolutely jacked up what that means. Like we've created our own definition of following. Like we've, we've, we've taken Jesus' definition of following. When Jesus says, follow me, we've taken that and we're like, okay, cool. Um, and we've created our own definition of following. Say, so this is what it means to follow Jesus. And the reality is that most people in America, most people in America, you say, if, are you a follower of Jesus? They would say, yes, I am. Most of us in this room would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But if I were to ask you why, like, what do you mean? Like, what, how are you a follower of Jesus? You're like, well, I, I, I do what Jesus did. Okay, well, what is that? Well, I go to church. Hey, friends, Jesus didn't go to church. He was Jewish, okay? Uh, he didn't go to church. So, so what does it mean? What does it mean to actually be a follower of Jesus? Like, well, I do other things that he did. Like, I, I pray. Okay, yes, he did pray. Uh, I, I read my Bible. He didn't read his Bible, but he, okay, close enough. He, he read his Old Testament, his Torah. Um, okay, so I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, um, I volunteer, I, 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 I help old ladies across the street, I, I do all kinds of things that like Jesus would have done if he were here, like that's what I do, right? Listen to me, I've said this all along, again and again and again, and I continue to say it till the day I die. Listen, following Jesus has little to do, if not nothing to do, with, with a checklist of things that you perform and do. It has to do with a relationship with him. Beholding Jesus has nothing to do with a checklist of things that you do, but, but fixing your gaze and having a flourishing relationship with him. And so he, here's, what, here's what I want us, you must hear this. And I, I, don't, I don't say this to like frustrate you or put you off or whatever, but you... We must be awakened to this truth. You, you must kind of grasp this. Most of us, many of us, would say, I'm a follower of Jesus because I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. I da 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 Here's the list of things that qualifies me to be a follower of Jesus. Friends, that's religion. And if that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you are actually not a follower of Jesus. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but you need, to, you need to realize that. 
Like, we can say all day, I'm a follower of Jesus, but if you're the one creating the definition of what a follower of Jesus is, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to kind of go really, really broad and say, okay, when Jesus says to his disciples, hey, follow me, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? And next week we're going to go really, really uh, deep biblically and say, okay, let's look at the life of Jesus and say if we're going to emulate him, if we're going to follow him, what, what is that? actually look like. And then we're going to get super practical the following week and say, okay, let's take all of this information and plug it into 2019 South Davis County and say, okay, really, what does it mean for you and me to follow Jesus in our day, in our time, in our culture? What does that look like? And so this morning, all I really want to do is say, what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? And for so many of us, we've created our own definition and it's void of a relationship with Jesus. It's just a checklist. It's like, I'm a Christian, and therefore I'm a follower of Jesus. Those two things do not always equal each other. They don't always marry each other. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is one of my great theological heroes, Bonhoeffer, who is a pastor in Nazi Germany, um, I mean, just he wrote some of the most unbelievably brilliant works. And his most famous work, of course, um, is The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, Bonhoeffer writes this about this very idea. He says, Christianity, without the living Christ, without Jesus, is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Now, it sounds like he said the same thing twice because he did, okay? Here's what he says. He says, if you take Christianity, this, this beautiful, wonderful thing, and you take Christ out of it, and all you're left with is uh, here's all the things that I do, right? You've also removed discipleship. Discipleship is not a list of things you do. I'm a disciple of Jesus because I did it, did it, did it. No, no, no. But if you, at the same time, if you take Christianity and you remove discipleship from it, you're also removing Jesus from it. So, so Jesus and discipleship, here is what he's saying, go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. And if you try to pull either one of them out of Christianity, you're left with a religion that is void of a relationship with Jesus. Discipleship without Jesus Christ is a way of our own choosing. We've created it. I'm a follower of Jesus. You've created your own definition. Discipleship without Jesus is a way of our own choosing. It may even lead to martyrdom, but it is devoid of all promise. Listen, people will, remember, he's writing in Nazi Germany. Martyrdom is a real thing for him. And that's maybe not for you and me in South Davis County, Utah in 2019. But people have died believing that they're a follower of Jesus because they do this and this and this and this and this without ever actually having a relationship with Jesus. They've died for the list of things and not for him. That's crazy. It's crazy how much we've jacked this up. So we must, we must answer the question, what did Jesus mean when he said, follow me? What did Jesus mean when he said, come and follow me? What is a follower of Jesus? Well, in order to understand that, we need some Jewish context uh, to this. How many of you guys know what Jesus' job description was? What did Jesus do for a living? I'm going to give you a quick hint before you embarrass yourself. It's not a carpenter, okay? Um, what did Jesus do for a living? Come on, you guys, you know. Did I scare you about the embarrassment piece? What did Jesus do for a living? What was his job? What was his title? Who said it? Say it louder. 
He's a rabbi. That's right. You guys knew that. You're like, I just don't want to say it. Rabbi. He was a rabbi, right? In first century Israel, um, a rat, these rabbis uh, would go around from town to town, and they were kind of like these gurus, right? Rabbi actually means like master, um, the, the, the master, this, this the one, the sage of like all of the information. Like they have, they have mastered the works of God, the, the, the Old Testament. They know it all, right? And so in order to be a rabbi, this is like not everybody, you can't just be like, hey, you know what I think I'm going to do when I grow up? I'll be a rabbi. It didn't work that way, right? So all, every Jewish boy and girl, or at least most Jewish boys and girls attended school. Um, they, they went to this thing called Beit Sefer. Beit Sefer is like elementary school. It's from ages 5 to 12 years old. They would attend school. But they didn't learn to read and write like you and I learned to read and write. Like I'm, right now we're teaching Winston to like read and write. And uh, we have this like workbook that we're going through. It's like 100 lessons and then you can learn to read, which is amazing. Um, they, didn't, they didn't have that, okay? They, they had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the works of Moses. And they learned to read and write by reading and writing the Torah again and again and again and again and again. And so from five to 12 years old, this is all they did. They just studied the, five, the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Again and again and again and again and again. They would, just, they, would, they would read and they would write it. And so by the age of 12, most Jewish boys and girls had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized on lock. They, they could recite every verse on every page without, without, without error. Now, many of you in the room are like, I can't make it through Leviticus. Like, I've tried again and again and again, and I just can't, I can't get through it. And the one time I did, I hit numbers, and that was the end of it. I can't, I can't do it. They, by 12 years old, friends, they knew it all. And most of these, most of these brilliant, brilliant boys and girls, the women would go, they would get married, and the boys would go back, and they would do whatever dad did. That was the end of it. That's the end of their kind of education. At 12 years old, they would go work for dad, whatever dad did, fishing, carpentry, whatever. That's what, that's what they would go do. But for the best of the best, okay, uh, the, the best of the best, they would get to go on to the, the, the next level of education, Beit Midrash. Beit Midrash was like, um, was kind of like high school, but almost, it was like almost college. Like it was like intense study of the rest of the Old Testament. And so from uh, 12 to 15, they would, uh, the, the, the boys, oh, this is men only, sorry ladies, men only were invited um, to study under kind of a local, the lower level rabbi, the Beit Midrash. They would study the, the major prophets, the minor prophets. They would study um, the Psalms and the Proverbs and they would they'd be filled with all of it. And so in three years, they would, they would memorize basically the rest of the Old Testament. Like they would, they would have most of the rest of the Old Testament on lock, memorized. They would know it all. Which is insane. It's crazy. And from there, most of these men would go back home to their hometown. They would work for their dad. And they would be leaders in their local synagogue. Like, this is a big deal. Like, if, if you go to Beit Midrash and you graduate, like, mama's proud, okay? Like, that's like, good job. Like, that's, that's it. Now, and then they're like a local leader in their town. And people respect them. Uh, they have a wealth of information about uh, God and the people of Israel and They'd be leaders in their local uh, synagogue. However, however, from Beit Midrash, the, the cream of the crop, like the summa cum laude, the top of the top, the best of the best, th- these guys uh, were invited to, to kind of have, have the opportunity to, to like quiz, be quizzed and test to, to, maybe, to maybe become what's called a Talmudim. Talmudim is where we get the word 
disciple. Like they would go meet with one of the, one of the famous rabbis. Now in the day, in first century Israel, like the, the rabbis were the rock stars of the day. Like they, they were it. Like there was nothing like it. Um, so last week, my wife and I went to see, uh, went to a concert, and one of my musical kind of heroes was in town. Like uh, some, somebody that I've been listening to for a very long time. And when we lived in Chicago, I went to every single show, probably like 10 shows, went to in Chicago. He'd come twice a year, but he never comes to Salt Lake City. And so we were like so pumped. Glenn Hansard came to Salt Lake City last week. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Glenn Hansard is, you haven't lived. That's fine. Okay. Um, but go, go listen. It's just the breath of what he has created and written. It's just so, it's so insane. And so we got, so the moment those tickets went on sale, like I was online, like getting front row seats. So I, we got front row. Like that's not front row. Like my feet were propped up on the stage, front row. And at one point he walks and he stands on the very edge of the stage and he's singing and there's like Bit, like raining down on us, and Desiree's like, This is disgusting. And I'm like, This is amazing. Like, opening my mouth to try and catch a little bit of it. It's like, This is the best day ever. I didn't actually open my mouth. That's gross. Um, <laughs> in, the de- in the days of Jesus, like, the rabbis were those guys. Like, when, when, when people learned that a famous rabbi was coming to their town, like, they would, they would get, they would come early to the synagogue to get, like, the front row seat. Like, they would push and shove their way to be at the front so they can hear whatever this rabbi is going to say. Hundreds of people would show up. Like, Jesus isn't the first rabbi, okay? Like, and he's not the last. Like, he's not the first guy to, like, draw a crowd. Like, these guys were rock stars. And the the good ones, the famous ones, they would draw, like, a thousand people. Now, nobody drew the crowds that Jesus drew. When Jesus would roll in, like, 10,000 people would show up. That that was unnormal. That was was strange, okay? Um, But that's because he healed people. Like, he made the lame to walk and cleansed leprosy, and, and people were like, I've got to see that. And so, like, 10,000 people show up when Jesus comes. So, but so he, here it is. So the, the, the Talmudim, to be the best of the best, right, at some point, like, this rabbi would turn to you and say, okay, follow me. And that was it. Like, that was the moment. That was kind of like the apex of everything that every little Jewish boy wanted to be and wanted to do was to be a Talmudim. And the Talmudim would do whatever that rabbi did for about five years was it were kind of the average that you would be a kind of an apprentice or a disciple to this rabbi. And you would do whatever that rabbi did. You see, the goal was not to like get a grade or to graduate, right? For a lot of us in this room, we went to grad school. Um, and if you, are, if you practice a certain field, like maybe you're a doctor or a lawyer or uh, a pastor, like you choose your grad school based on often the, the professor. Like she is the leader in this field or this guy, like he is like the absolute stud. I want to study underneath them. Like that's the person I want to study underneath. And so you choose it based on that. But you don't choose, but at the end you, you don't say, okay, um, you, you say things like, man, I, I want to impress them or I want all my friends to be impressed because I studied underneath them or I want to get the grade and I, I want to get an A while studying under this person because they're so tough, it's so hard. Not for a Talmudim. Talmudim didn't want a grade. They didn't want to impress anybody. The goal of a Talmudim was to become the rabbi. They wanted to become their rabbi. They wanted to become just like him. And so what they would do is they would emulate that rabbi in every single way at every single moment. The saying of the day, it was this ancient Hebraic blessing, was may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So like, may you be so close 
to that rabbi that as he walks down the street, the dust that is ticked up might it cover you, that you'd be that close to him. One Jewish scholar puts it this way. He says, They would literally follow in the dust of their rabbi, desiring to emulate him in all of his mannerisms. They would eat the same food in exactly the same way as the rabbi. They would go to sleep and awake the same way as the rabbi. And more importantly, they would learn to study Torah and understand God the exact same way as their rabbi. Like, imagine that for a minute. Like, for five years, you just study the person. Like, okay, how is he falling to sleep tonight? That's creepy. I'll give you that, okay? That's, that's weird. You're like studying how he falls asleep so I can fall asleep in the exact same way. What is he eating? And how is he eating? How many, how many, how many, how many times does he chew that piece of broccoli? I'm going to chew it the exact same number of times. To emulate in every single way. The goal of the disciple is to become just like the rabbi, to have this intimate relationship where I'm being formed and molded into his likeness through everything that I do to emulate him in every single way. And so what does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? Come, follow me. Let's let's look real quick at the first uh, disciples that Jesus calls. I want you to see this language in Matthew 4, verse 18. It'll be up here on the screen for you. Matthew records it this way. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. In an instant, in a moment, they leave whatever they're doing. They leave their careers. They leave their job. They leave their dad. And they're like, I'm following that guy. And without the context, that's really weird, right? But in context, I'm saying Jesus was the rock star of his day. Like, there was never a rabbi like Jesus. And so this was like the greatest honor that could be bestowed upon these men. There's nothing like it. Like, if Glenn Hansard walked in the room right now and was like, Josh, you just want to come with me the next five years and just do whatever I do. I'll pay you. We'll just hang out. We'll just have fun and just do whatever I do. I love you all, Flourishing Grace. I'll see you in five years. All right? I'm out. Like, we're gonna, I'm going to go do that. Like, that's amazing. That would be an incredible experience just to, like, sing songs and just hang out and just be, be with him. Like, that's incredible. So these guys are like, uh, there's no, no thought, no, no second guessing. Like, I'm in. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to forsake these things that the world says are mine, this job, this career, this identity, this dad. I'm going to follow that guy. Um, here's another one for you. In Matthew 9, 9, I love this. Jesus uh, passed from there. He saw a man called Matthew, or sometimes referred to as Levi, right? So Matthew is his Greek name. Levi is his Hebraic name. Uh, Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. So Jesus walks past Matthew. Matthew is sitting in the tax collector's booth. If you know anything about first century Israelite culture, like that's not the place you want to be. Okay, so if mama wants you to be a Talmudim, let me tell you what mama does not want you to be. Tax collector, okay? Like that's like the lowest of the low. Like that is, that is like, I, I can't go out in public with you anymore because my son has become a tax collector and everybody's gonna look down upon me because that's what he does for a living. Like he is shaking the pockets of all of these Jews to funnel the money to Rome. Nobody likes this guy. Nobody wants to be around him, which is why when Jesus goes to his house, who's hanging out there? Other tax collectors and sinners. No, no, no well-respected man in the community is going to be seen with this guy. No one's going to go to his house. He doesn't have any friends. Like, those are his friends. Jesus says, like, why don't you come follow me? Come be on my team. And instantly in a moment, he leaves it all. He leaves everything the world says that he is. This person that's life has been marked by shame, this terrible job, and he says, I'm going to go with this guy. Instantly can transform into a position of honor, a position of like glory and respect, like in an instant, in a moment. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that actually mean? Listen, friends, it means that we must be a people who actually forsake the things the world tells us that we are. What I find again and again and again when, when I meet people who say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they're really not, it's one of two things. It's one of two things. Either A, they are clinging to something or something is clinging to them. And what I mean by that is this, like there's something in their life that they're just not willing to let go of. Part of their identity, a, a, a future dream, a future hope. And someday I'm going to be here and I'm going to be doing this and it's going to look like this. And they're not willing to let go of that and actually forsake it to follow Jesus. Or, or it's, a, it's an identity or maybe something that somebody told them about themselves a long time ago. They're just believing is true. Like they're just clinging to this thing that kind of defines them. And they're just not willing to open their hands and allow Jesus to have that thing. You see, in an instant, in a moment, when we realize what a privilege, what an honor, what an unbelievable gift it is to have the, the God of all things, the greatest rabbi who has ever lived, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to say, hey, follow me. Like, it instantly kind of breaks open our fingers and says, man, okay, it, that is better than this. That we must become a people who treasure Christ above all other things. That say there is nothing greater. There never has been nor will there ever be anything greater in the whole world than Christ. And until you get to that place, you can't follow him. Because there's always going to be something that you're clinging to that's holding you back. That you're not willing to forsake. And when we release it and we grab onto him, all we want to do is to emulate him in every single way. To follow Jesus means that we, that we reshape our lives around the way of Jesus. 
You see, there's this, there's this word in the book of Acts again and again and again that's, that's used, and it's capitalized. So in a weird way, it's like, why is that capitalized? Again and again and again. Um, does anybody know what it is? Anybody know what word I'm talking about? Give you a hint, capital W. It's the word way, the way. You see, here, I'll show you a couple of verses here real quick. Um, so in, in Acts 9, in Acts, in Acts 9 verse 2, Paul is going to go, Saul, not Paul yet, Saul is going to go persecute these, these Christians. He needs these papers, these letters. And so it says this, and ask him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, capital W, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul says, I'm going to go look for followers of the capital W, the way. People who have ordered their life around the way of Jesus. They're emulating him. In chapter 22, verse 4, same context, Paul says, I persecuted this, capital W, the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. I found people who were practicing the way of Jesus, emulating his life, and I arrested them, and I killed them. And then kind of... Uh, in the irony, in, in Acts 24, verse 22, Paul is on trial, and Governor Felix is overseeing this, and he says, hey, uh, Paul, listen, any, any like, thing that you want to say in your defense, and Paul just begins to preach the gospel. He says, let me tell you about the way of Jesus, and Felix stops him. He says this, uh, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of capital W, the way, put them off, saying, when, when Lysus the tribute comes down. I will decide your case. I know the way. People have told me about the way of Jesus. Stop talking. Just, just get out. The early Christians were, were not known as Christians. In fact, when we see that language, it's actually in a negative context, a negative light. They were known as followers of the way. They were people who emulated Jesus. They became his Talmudim, his disciples, right? Um, in the famous passage in Matthew uh, 28, uh, 18, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make what? Disciples of all nations, all people. Go and make everybody my Talmudim. Everybody's invited. Everybody's included. Everybody is invited to come along and be a part of this thing, this new way. Everybody's invited to come draw near to me and, and reorder every area of their life around my life, around my way, around the source of all human flourishing. Come and be a part of what I'm doing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in that same work, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, he, he writes this, and um, some of you are like, wait, two Bonhoeffer quotes in one sermon? You're welcome. Uh, he, he writes this. It'll be up here on the screen. I'm out of order, Bree. I'm sorry. So long as Levi sits at the receipt of custom, his, so Levi being Matthew, his, his tax collector, as long as he sits there doing his tax collector thing, and Peter at his nets, they could both pursue their trade honestly and dutifully, and they might both enjoy religious experiences, old and new. But if they want to believe in God, the only way is to follow his incarnate son. Had Levi stayed at his post, Jesus might have been his present help in trouble, but not the Lord of his whole life. 
I said at the beginning, many of us have, have crossed that line of faith. We said, man, okay, I, I'm going from I don't believe to I, I now believe. I, I don't believe, but now I believe. But so, so few have said, and I follow. My whole life, every area of my life will be lived in response to the call of Christ. I will order everything in my life around his life. And this, friends, is why we do not experience the flourishing that Jesus has on offer. Now, who is this, who is this offered to? Real quick, I'm running out of time. Let me, let me read to you just real quick the, the list of Jesus' disciples. Je- Jesus is going to call his disciples to himself in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4. It reads this way. And he called to him his 12 disciples. So his 12 closest followers, his 12 Talmudim. And gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So we read about them earlier. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas, that's that's doubting Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector, he makes the list. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Now, just you got you got to you got to do something with that. I mean, think about it for a second. Okay, the first one listed is Simon, who's called Peter, who Jesus knows is going to betray him three times. He's going he's going to deny him three times. Say, I don't know that guy. Aren't you, aren't you one of his Talmudim? Like, haven't you spent every waking hour of your life for the past three years emulating him? No. Nope. Never seen him before. What an idiot. You've got Matthew, who already said is a tax collector. Like, no one, he doesn't have any friends. No one wants to be around this guy. Like, nobody wants to be around him except for other tax collectors and sinners. You have Thomas, who after Jesus dies, and people are like, dude, I saw him, he rose from the grave. Thomas is like, no, like, that's not possible. Like, okay, I saw him do some crazy stuff, but that, no. He's not the son of God. He didn't raise from the grave. Like, come on, guys. You have Simon the Zealot. Like, his job is guerrilla warfare against Roman soldiers. Like, hide out in the shadows and stab them when they're not looking and then run away. I want that guy on my team. What? Like that, go, that flies in the face of everything that Jesus teaches. And they got Judas. Everybody loves Judas. Good grief. The guy, the guy sells Jesus. He sells him out. And that's Jesus. those are the guys that Jesus says, man, you're on my team. Come, follow me. Come, come follow me so closely and have intimacy with me so closely that you might be like me in every single way. The reality is, is that as I look around this room and think about your stories and the people that I know, right, there's people in this room who have, who have completely, um, and, and they've destroyed their careers, they've lost their jobs. There's people in this room who have destroyed their marriages. There's people in this room who have, have just deeply, deeply hurt people. There's people in this room who have done time, like, I mean, like, real time, like, um, there's, there's, there's all kinds of people in this room. If we went around and we said, okay, and what defines you? What defines your sin? We say, okay, stand up and say your name and like, 
just your, the, thing, the sin that defines your life, which we're not going to do, by the way. Relax. But as people stand up and say, okay, my, my name is Josh, and, and yeah, I, I have deeply wounded some people in my life, and here's, here's the way that I've wounded them. My, my anger has hurt some people in my life. Hey, hey my name is so-and-so, and man, I, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and, and, and to be honest, I still am. If we just went around and just did that the whole the rest of the time, you know what it would make? A beautiful list of disciples. And so last night, I was just thinking about that. I mean, how, how can that be? Like, how can that be? How, how can you and I, especially me, how can I be qualified to, like, make that list? Like, how can Jesus be like, hey, come follow me? He doesn't even know how jacked up I am. Doesn't he know what I've done? Come follow me. How can it be that those guys make that list? I'm going to tell you why. Here's why. Because Jesus is the only rabbi who's ever lived that can choose the guys who are not the best of the best and say, don't worry, I've got this. Like, I'm going to wash you white as wool and pure as snow. I'm going to die the death that you couldn't die. I'm going to go to the cross for you. I'm going to bleed the ground red so that you might be clothed in my righteousness. And I'm going to bring beauty from the ashes of your life. No other rabbi can do that, but I got this. And so wherever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whoever you've hurt, whatever you've stained, whatever you've broken, it does not matter. The, the call of Christ in your life is to come and follow. Not simply come and believe that maybe he is who he said he was. Like, that's not faith. There's no faith in that. You, you can believe in Jesus all day long, but that, that's not real faith. Like, I can, have, I can believe that the parachute's going to open, but until I actually jump out of the plane, there's no real faith there. Jesus says, man, come, follow me. Step out in faith. Let go of the things in your life. I said earlier, either you're clinging to something or something's clinging to you. There's something in your life that's just this is holding on to you. And this is what it is. It's something from your past that you've done or something that somebody's done to you. Somebody's said something about you that's just not true. And they've created all of this doubt within you or maybe you've created all this doubt within you and there's something holding you back. There's something holding on to you and saying, man, you're not worthy of that. The good news is that's true. You're not worthy of it. Neither am I. But Jesus, come on, let me, let me make you worthy to be one of my Talmudim. Come follow me. Come leave all that stuff behind. Leave all the things the world says that you are behind. Let, let me cleanse you. Let me wash you. Let me bring flourishing to your life. Come emulate me. Come begin to reorder your life around my life. And we're going to talk about that next week. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning, and just in this moment, we just, we, just, we just bow our heads, we bow our hearts before you, and we declare in this place that we are not a people who are worthy. We're not a people who have earned this status. We're not a people who have earned this worth. We're not a people who have said, look at all that I've done. I should be your disciple. No. We're people who say, listen, I, I, I shouldn't, I should never be called to follow you. I should never be invited to be with you. I'm not worthy to emulate your life. 
and yet you've looked at every single person in this room, every single one of us, and said, hey, stop. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. Come to me, let me, let me cleanse you by, the, by, by my blood, by the blood of my cross. Let me die the death that you could not die. Let me live the life that you could not live so that you might be clothed in my righteousness that I might transform you from the inside out. Come. Come follow me. So let's pray this morning, Jesus, that for those in the room who have not made that decision to follow you right now, we just step out in faith and say, man, I'm going to follow Jesus. behind. I'm going to fix my gaze on what lies ahead. I'm going to live every moment of my life for him from now on. I'm going to begin to reorder everything in my life. It's not going to to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen in a week or a month. It's going to take years. But I'm going to reorder my life after the life of Christ. And And if no one goes with me, if I'm completely alone in this, I'm going anyways because I'm going with the God of all things. Praise you. Be with us. Help us to follow you. Praise in your name. Amen.